Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq al and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. And if you are new to the Radio Islam family, thanks for tuning in. Keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You might miss the live broadcast, which you can always go back. SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, tune in. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right. Uh, this is, I guess, we're all taking a breath right now. Those of us who have been uh, covering the midterm elections and uh, looking to see what was going to happen and how things would play out. Uh, so we're going to keep moving. And I think today's conversation really, um, it's going it, to, it's really relative to the fact that we now have two new elected uh, Muslim uh, Muslim officials, uh, and not everybody thinks that's a that's a that's a good sign. Um, so today we have on the line with us to kind of talk about some of the the sentiments uh, that the uh, the general American population has regarding uh, Muslims. We have joining us again, Dr. Robert L. McKenzie. He is the director and senior fellow of the Muslim Diaspora Initiative. And they recently conducted a survey of 1,785 people to examine the general public's views on Muslim Americans. And we're going to talk to them about this work. Welcome to Radio Islam again. How are you, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yes. Yeah, so what were the, um, let me ask this, what was the, the question or the group of questions that initially prompted this particular survey? Well, as you know, I, I did a, uh, a comprehensive um, cataloging of anti-Muslim activities at the state and local level, which I, I completed, I guess, six months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's an ongoing project. Uh, but what I wanted to do, the next step, was to try and get an understanding of what does the general public think about uh, Muslim Americans. Mm-hmm. Take a deep dive. Right. And I wanted to do this in the lead-up to the midterm elections at a time when Muslims and other minorities um, are often front and center at local, state, and federal um, elections. So we ran this survey um, as late as possible in the cycle um, to get a sense of, of what do uh, what do Americans think about Muslim Americans on a full range of issues. Mm. Now, this was a multimodal survey. Uh, That's correct. So what communication modes uh, did you use? So um, we commissioned this to a survey firm, and I should say that New America did this uh, okay. in collaboration with um, an organization um, called American Muslim, uh, the American Muslim Institution. And so we commissioned this to a uh, survey firm called SSRS. Mm-hmm. And uh, they um, um, conducted the survey um, using um, cell phone, landline, and um, web-based um, uh, surveys. And so that's, that's how it was conducted. And the reason for this is that... Um, you can't get everybody on the phone, and also the research shows that when you um, have people fill out surveys uh, on the privacy of their uh, computer um, or on their phone, uh, mobile that is, uh, you, you get a different sort of uh, response and oftentimes a more um, uh, candid uh, response, especially when you're asking some hard questions. Right, right. Now, seeing as how um, you did this leading up to being close to the midterm elections, what were some of the 
Uh, what, what was some of the feedback that you got regarding Muslim participation in civic life, uh, seeking elected office? Well, there, there's, there's a couple of positives that I, I that I want to point out. And, and first, it's, it's that 85 percent of Americans think that diversity is a good thing for the country. Mm-hmm. And a similar majority uh, believe that Muslim Americans contribute positively to the U.S. economy and society. And uh, two-thirds of Americans agree that it's a positive sign of progress for the country that over 100 Muslims ran for office this election cycle. Right. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. It so- is. But I should, I should tell you, in contrast to those numbers, which I think are all positive, mm-hmm. uh, in sharp contrast to those numbers, uh, half of Americans express concern that extremism is spreading within Muslim communities in America. Forty-two percent of Americans um, believe that Islam is not compatible with American values. Thirty-eight percent of Americans believe that Muslim Americans are not as patriotic as other Americans. And when prompted to guess, two in five, two out of five Americans reported they believe Muslim Americans don't want to fit in to American society or have respect for American laws. So what this shows is that fear and myths and misinformation about Muslims is nuanced. And what the data also shows is that it cuts across party lines. There's no question, um, you know, that uh, the data shows that um, party affiliations, specifically Republicans, had much stronger negative views um, when it comes to Muslims. In fact, their views were one and a half times more likely uh, of, of being non-accepting of Muslims. But there's no question that that myths and misinformation cross, you know, spread across party lines, cuts across party lines. Um, just to give you one example. Um, you know, Americans have a grossly inaccurate understanding of, of the size of the Muslim population. Uh, Non-Muslim Americans believe that one in six Americans are Muslim. That that would make uh, the Muslim population 17 percent in right. this country. Right. And when we're, we're at about one percent in reality. That's correct. That's, yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, and if you talk to Muslim community leaders, many think the number is, is larger than that. Uh I've talked to the scholars at Pew that work on this, specifically Bashir Muhammad, who oversees, who's their senior scholar, who oversees their work on, on Muslim communities in the U.S. And even if that number were, were off, let's say it was twice as much, it's not even remotely close to 17%. Right. And um, I, I think that what, what's a little bit concerning here is that you've got these fears and, and uh, you have these fears about Muslims, but you also have this inflated sense of, of how big the community is. So if you if your average American is worried about Muslims and they think that you know the community is seventeen percent, you know it would it might suggest to your average American that wow, you, not only is extremism spreading, but you have this massive community, and it it just uh, it, it can lead to obviously some some real problems. Do we think this is really just related to the fact that the that there's an over an overreporting? Uh, on Muslim Americans in, in terms of the population. Uh, and usually, uh, quite often, that reporting is, is negative. Do you think that is that, that kind of runs in lockstep with this uh, perception that the Muslim American community is far larger, was well, far smaller than uh, the respondents in the survey thought? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder how much of this has to do with the fact that we have a president 
you know, who throughout his campaign and certainly since uh, his being inaugurated has done an awful lot to fan the flames. Sure. And so, you know, some of your listeners may recall it was, you know, after the spectacular terrorist attacks in, you know, uh, in, in Europe, you had folks like Donald Trump making remarks. You also had people like Chris Christie saying he wouldn't take in a five-year-old orphan from Syria, suggesting there's something fundamentally wrong with Muslims, that you can't even take in an unaccompanied minor. You had 30-some-odd governors who said that they wanted to to, um, suspend refugee resettlement until they understood who exactly was coming in. So, you know, there was just this sense that, um, that, you know, one, Muslims are dangerous and that the communities are larger than they are. Um, But I, I, you know, that's where I think this comes from. And it's it's worth noting that, you know, one in three respondents said that they feel uncomfortable when they see Muslim Americans wearing a veil or Islamic attire. One in three respondents said they'd be concerned if a mosque or Islamic center was built in their neighborhood. And one in three respondents believe that Muslims should be subjected, Muslim Americans should be subjected to extra security screenings at the airport. And so, you know, the fear about Muslims is, is I think, in part due to the Muslim memory from 9-11. Right. Um, but also because we've had elected officials and the media, um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, reinforce these stereotypes. And, and we certainly cover... Um, we certainly cover acts of violence committed by um, by Muslims uh, differently than those acts of violence that are committed by, say, white Christian men. Um, and and I don't know if that's a if that's a question that has been posed to um, to you know to the public. You know, how do you see these two different? Considering that the almost I want to say it's upwards of ninety percent of the uh, homegrown uh, terrorism that is taking place here in the United States has been uh, enacted by white Christian men. Yeah, it's it's a great point. And, um, you know, it, it certainly was captured uh, in, in tragic ways a few weeks ago when we had the uh, horrific attack in the synagogue. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one of, you know, a number of incidents that, that we have seen by uh, white nationalists or white supremacists. Mm-hmm. And uh, to your point, though, um, you know, not all violence is, is uh, viewed or discussed the same in the public sphere, mm-hmm. and it's a real problem. But I'll tell you, um, you know, have, uh, first and foremost, Donna, as a as a as a academic who you know spent a lot of time working on the Middle East, mm-hmm. you know, we don't cover terrorism or uh, mass murder in the rest of the world the way we do in the West. Mm-hmm. I mean, a few years ago, there was a horrific attack um, in Kenya. Yes. And, you know, it was just a blip on the screen. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, every act of, of, of murder is is one too many and we should be appalled by it. But the point is, you know, you have a massacre um, in a mall and, uh, you know, we it, it you know, I think it got a very I'm not I think I know it got very limited coverage yeah. relative to some of the attacks in Europe. And, and again, I, this is not to suggest for a second that the attacks in Europe were not were not serious. Mm-hmm. It's just to your excellent point. Um, they're not viewed or discussed um, in the same way. And, uh, you know, in my previous project that we discussed on your show, you know, the the, the enormous spike in anti-Muslim uh, activities in the U.S. over the last couple of years 
mm-hmm. is not just the result of the spectacular terrorist attacks in Europe. It's it's a result of, of those attacks coupled with political rhetoric from uh, folks running for office. Right. And both of those things together have created um, a toxic environment at the local level. Now, you mentioned how uh, bias tends to fall along um, uh, party lines, political ideology. Um, that being said, are, were, there, were there individuals who recognized bias, uh, who recognized bias towards Muslim Americans, uh, but actually fell under the, you know, they associate with, with, with the uh, Republican Party? Yeah, just to be clear, there is no question that party affiliation uh, played a factor in how people responded uh, about their views about um, Muslim Americans. Uh, but, I mean, the, the, the fears and, and the myths and the misinformation uh, cuts across party lines. This, right. this, is, this, is, this is a fact. The data bears this out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we did with this study, it was a 14, I should say, that it's a 14-minute long survey. Mm-hmm. And um, it ran, but also offered that it ran between October 16th and October 21st, which was before um, the president and the media started to talk about the caravan and making reference to, you know, smallpox and Middle Easterners and, you know, whatever the, exactly that label means um, in terms of people coming through uh, the caravan. And so um, I suspect if we had run this survey a little bit later, we would have gotten even uh, stronger negative views. Sure. Um, but we, you know, of the 40-some questions that we asked in the survey, um, 20, 20 some questions, just over 25 questions, were about the demographics of the, of the respondents. And, and the reason for this is that, you know, we want to understand what kinds of fears and misinformation people hold about uh, Muslim Americans. But we also want to think about, uh, you know, how to inform a broader public conversation and, uh, equally important, how to inform a, a policy-relevant uh, conversation, because my impression is traveling across the country, um, elected officials at the local and state level uh, are disappointed and saddened to hear this. Not all. Some some help fan the flames, but mm-hmm. I, I've met a good number of Republican leaders who don't want to hear about this in that it, it saddens them that, that we're in a place where uh, people have these kind of fears. So what we really hope to do with this survey is to use it uh, to inform, again, a broader conversation, but also to put this in the hands of, uh, of, of elected officials and appointed officials at the local and state level because they're best positioned to engage with this stuff, right? So when mm-hmm. something bad happens, um, people are groping for information, they're afraid. And when I say something bad, it's not just a terrorist attack. It could be the president saying you know, we should have X or Y or Z against Muslims, um, everybody's scrambling. Um, and so this is the kind of data that will help um, inform, uh, you know, those conversations in a way that I think will be healthier, much healthier than what we currently have. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely think that our elected officials will find value in it. But I also feel like our our educators, uh, whether primary or secondary um, grades, uh, would find a lot of value in this, especially uh, administrators. Um, we recently had a conversation with um, with the researcher that was looking at uh, Islamophobia in textbooks, and uh, and it just led to this led to this uh, you know obvious uh, realization that 
not only our elected officials are, you know, they have a part to play with regard to stoking the, the, the fires, the flames of uh, suspicion and, and, and hatred, but this is also something that's learned uh, in our school systems. Uh, do you see? Do you see this also? This research having uh, also, you know, finding a home uh, in in the school systems as well. Absolutely, and I I find this research that I, I as I've mentioned before, and maybe I should have started the call saying that I you know I'm I'm not an advocate and I'm not an activist. I what I'm trying to do is use scholarship and data right. uh, to tell an informed story about Muslim Americans, um, and um, what this data is super useful for is to engage um, a full range of, of uh, you know, actors. And so there's no question that I, it, it, schools are a place where, you know, children and uh, youngsters start to fashion their ideas about the world. And, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of educators that agree that there's, you know, a real problem with um, fear and myths about Muslims. But this, this puts, you know, facts and figures in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, I mean, I just was at, um, I was visiting a, a masjid in northern Virginia in McLean, mm-hmm. and it, McLean, Virginia is one of the wealthiest, most educated um, cities in the country, and the, the masjid there has had a hard time becoming a, a full-service masjid, and I say that because they're trying to use local zoning laws to um, ensure that they, you can only have so many people at the masjid at any given time in the morning or late in the evening. And, you know, when I talked to the community out there, some of the community leaders, you know, they said, well, they felt like this was an outlier, what was happening to them. And, and it, it may or may not be, but if you have this kind of uh, zoning obstruction by design mm-hmm. in one of the wealthier um, cities in the country, what's happening elsewhere? So, Mm-hmm. What we hope is that this data is a way for um, community leaders across the country to engage with, with elected officials, because I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the senators from Virginia wouldn't want to hear about this, in that it would concern them and they'd want to leap into action. Right. Because I know that uh, Senator Kane or Senator Warren mm-hmm. would certainly leap into action if, if you know there was obstruction of a synagogue or a church, and I suspect they would feel equally compelled hearing about what's happening to this message. So I, I, I guess my broader point is absolutely this is of, of enormous value to educators, mm-hmm. but it's also a way for community leaders uh, to engage elected officials. You know what? I, I, would add, I would add to that also that it's also an opportunity to, uh, to go not just with the quantitative but the qualitative to find out, to get into the whys of why do you feel uh, threatened? Why do you feel uneasy? Um, in the presence of a Muslim dressed in a particular fashion, or at the idea of a uh, of a masjid being built in your neighborhood, that goes beyond. That goes deeper than just what you've heard on television from maybe from our president, maybe from some other. It doesn't have to be uh, an elected leader, but from a community leader. Uh, but why? I think the conversations about why people feel the way they feel have to be had if we're going to. Uh, if we're going to move beyond the fear and the suspicion? I, I completely agree. And one of the questions that we asked in the survey is, is do you personally know a Muslim? Yes. And around 50% said, yes, they do. Mm-hmm. And um, 
which seems a little hard to believe given that Muslims make up 1% of the country. It doesn't seem <laughs> possible, right? Right. Um, but this is what this this is a, a question that's been asked in multiple surveys uh, by different uh, research firms, and it always comes up at around comes out at around fifty percent. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the things that I I've, I've learned anecdotally is that you know familiarity doesn't always breed better relations. And I, I can tell you, I was you know I was born and raised in Southeast Michigan, where you have a very large uh, Muslim population, a very large uh, Arab Christian population, and and there's a lot of just misunderstandings. And uh, to your point, it's so helpful to, to try and understand the why um, and for the community and others to try and engage um, non-Muslim Americans, uh, you know, to, to talk about these things. It's just it's it's super, super helpful. But it's these are also difficult conversations to be had. Sure, sure. And I guess one of the questions that I would ask is uh, when you have. Um, so many who don't know uh, Muslims. The, the next question is: Do you do you want to know one? You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you. So I was having dinner at a uh, with uh, some friends in Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm-hmm. and the the wife of my friend is. They're both Muslim, and, and she's Muslim, but she's not veiled. Mm-hmm. And she was conveying a story that she's a cardiologist that one of her colleagues. Um, you know, she overheard one of her colleagues saying some pretty horrible things about Muslims. Mm-hmm. And she pulled her colleague aside afterwards and said, you know, I'm, I'm Muslim. And the colleague said, no, I had no idea. And she said, well, I, I find it offensive what you said. And, and her colleague responded, well, you're not like them. Mm, the old, the and, old, you're not like them one. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I, you know, and so, you know, the positive that came out of that is that you know, this Muslim woman engaged her colleague and, and I think helped educate her. But, I mean, the amounts of misunderstandings and misinformation um, are just absolutely incredible. And I, I, I do believe that so much of this goes back to 9-11. Yeah. And I understand that people uh, have, you know, uh, enormous, enormous muscle memory from, you know, the tragedy of 9-11. Um, but I'm also well aware that you have... You know, media outlets and elected officials who have done an awful lot to fan the flames. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me ask a bit more about one of the other findings. Uh, so there's a question regarding discrimination against Muslims. Um, it says it was, it was evident to respondents. Uh, and let me read this again. It said discrimination against Muslims is evident to respondents and skepticism around hate crime reporting is low. Uh, recognition of discrimination against Jews is much more limited. And I know you mentioned that this uh, survey was issued prior to the um, uh, yeah. horrific events at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Um, but is that recognition, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm thinking, if I worded this right the first time, but is that recognition of that discrimination, does that also follow along political ideology? Um, yeah. There, there were differences, um, but I, I, you know, the the it was one of the the counterintuitive findings to come out of this is that your average respondent recognized, and you know, it was a majority, seventy one percent, recognized that there's a lot of discrimination against uh, Muslim Americans as well as uh, transgender persons and blacks. And so we we asked questions about other minorities just to get a sense of of what people think about um, a range of issues in a range of communities. Right. 
Um, and then, but inversely, uh, two thirds of Americans disagree that the same discrimination is evident for Jews in America. And so, um, I, I, I can't tell you why exactly they, they felt that, but I, it certainly, you know, this, this the survey was done prior to the 27th, uh, the October 27th Pittsburgh uh, synagogue shooting. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe if, if we had asked us after that, we would have gotten a different response. But um, it certainly was surprising. And um, it's worth noting that, you know, I do quite a bit of, of research um, looking at, at hate towards Muslims, but also other minority communities. And the research is increasingly clear that the folks who don't like Muslims also don't like Jews mm -hmm. or blacks or other minorities. I mean, these folks do not operate in a silo. And... Yeah. Uh, um, what social media has done is, is brought people together and allowed, you know, uh, folks to share toxic ideas and go after various communities. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I once heard uh, Jim Rohn say that there's only about five or six really bad people in the world. It says that they just move around a whole lot. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, what's what's the expression that, that every village has, has an idiot, right? But what, what the Internet has done is it's sort of it's you it's uh, linked up and united all of those folks. Yeah. Um, so they now have their own echo chamber. Um, but I mean, you you can go on, you know, most of the social media platforms and and, you know, the language about black Americans or Muslim Americans or Jewish Americans. Pretty toxic. Yeah. And uh, I, I you know, my impression is right now the. The social media company companies are, are giving this a serious and hard look to think about how they can uh, better address these issues. But you know, we most Americans uh, um, fall, fall into different camps, right? You've got the, the folks who are um, they, they think you should leave all this up because of the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. That's what the ACLU says, and then you have others say that you should take it all down. And I, I think there's actually a middle ground. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you've got a group of folks out there um, that are nonstop engaging in hate speech against black Americans or uh, Muslim Americans, Jewish Americans, and that's all they're doing, and there's no educational value. And um, even if they're not inciting violence, I guess the question becomes, you know, to what end do we allow for that to stay up? Right. I mean, it would be nice if we could simply agree upon uh, that our free speech is it is connected directly to our health as a nation. Sure. Uh, and when speech begins to, um, you know, there's toxicity, it begins to poison, divide us, then we, we should really, we should reflect on that and, and think about how we, how we are using um, uh, our first amendment. No. And to that excellent point, and, and just to circle back to your question earlier about educators, I mean, it's, it's young folks that are, that are, on social media all the time. And if they're seeing this stuff and reading it, um, it's not, it's not helping matters at all. Right. And it only reinforces, um, some of these stereotypes, um, a good many of them that are completely divorced from the reality of the world. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you what's, what's next? Um, because, uh, you know, we, we spoke about, I think maybe six months ago, um, and then you, you have immersed yourself in, in this research. Uh, what, what's the next thing for you? Or you, do you already, you already have, it, have it on uh, on your plate? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of projects. Um, and one looks at specifically, um, I, I'm interested in, in myths and misinformation about Muslims mm -hmm. um, on the Internet, um, but looking at this specifically after terrorist attacks. Because my hypothesis is 
it's after major terrorist attacks when people are groping for information and it's at a time when myths and misinformation get shared and spread intentionally but also unintentionally. And so I'm, I'm getting ready to embark on a, uh, on a uh, project that looks at um, the last 10 major terrorist attacks, and I'm, I'm super interested to understand what kinds of things people were searching for after those attacks, and I want to compare it um, as it relates to Muslims and Islam and w- compared to what kinds of things people were searching for uh, before those attacks. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm soon to start a major project with a social media company. They're giving me access to their API, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to be doing that study. Um, but as I mentioned to you before, really what I'm trying to do is, is use scholarship and data to understand two um, connected but separate sets of issues. One is the impact and contributions of Muslim Americans at the, at the local level. Um, and the second um, issue is looking at anti-Muslim activities. Mm. And the reason why I'm interested in the impact and contributions is because I, my impression is that we, and this is sort of a royal, we don't really know much about Muslim communities right. in the U.S. And... You know, we don't know, for example, in Houston, there's a, a vibrant and growing Hispanic Muslim community. Yep. And there's a vibrant West African Muslim community. Mm-hmm. And both of those communities are quite different from the Arab communities. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm doing a, a deep dive study there that shows what those communities look like. But I, I feel like by just using scholarship and data to talk about these communities and what their impact and contributions are, it really is a way to pull apart some of the myths and misinformation. So when something bad happens, there's a terrorist attack or the president says something, you have a bunch of officials who are leaping to say, no, no, they're just like us. And it's good sentiment. It feels good. I mm-hmm. think it is the right thing to say. Yeah. But if there's scholarship and data that they can point to, um, it's super helpful in pulling apart some of these you know, enormous uh, uh, pieces of, of misinformation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to uh, to talk to you when you've uh, completed this next one. Uh, this definitely sounds like it's something that's going to have a lot of benefit, um, as, as all of your work does, for um, just, like I said, to get the conversations going uh, and to help people speak from uh, from facts and not from not from suspicion. So that's right. Yeah. So we appreciate you taking the time. Um, our guest has been Dr. Robert L. McKenzie. He is the uh, he's the director and senior fellow of the Muslim Diaspora Initiative, and you can get him online. The website is newamerica.org, newamerica.org. All right. Thank you Thank very you much. Thank you again for having me. It's All right. It's our pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. All right, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a short break, and we will be back in a minute. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM.